Hey, you. Yeah, you. If you or someone you know is struggling with anything mentioned on today's program, please, 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 please email me at authentic1 at gmail.com. That's A-U-T-H-E-N-I-C-K, the number one, at gmail.com. I am available 24-7, 365 to help in any way that I can. I have resources. I have open ears, an open heart, and tons of hope. I've been freely given all these things and would love to give them to you. Be good to yourselves and each other. Follow me on Twitter using the handle at Authentic and my dog Marla on Instagram at djmarla.jean. During today's program, you will hear AA mentioned multiple times. The individual expressing their thoughts and opinions do not reflect AA or Al-Anon as a whole. Please enjoy. The FCC won't let me be or let me be me, so let me see. I'd like to take this opportunity to apologize to all the artists whose music I used in season one. So now you get to hear me sing. It's going to be real good. Bipolar Alcoholic I am a drug addict too Eating disorder Compulsive gambler All are welcome here We talk all things recovery you are never alone we aim to break all the stigma to educate you experience strength and tons of hope all are welcome here we talk of things recovery you are never alone cause this is authentic where we get authentic cause this is authentic where we get authentic cause this is Welcome, 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 welcome to the show! My name is Nicholas Thomas Fitzsimmons Vanden Havel, but most people just call me Nick. And this is my show, Authentic! Get it? It's like authentic, but I took out the T, added an N, and put a K on the end in a silent Q. Anyway... Here with me, as always, is my dog, Marla. Hello! Come here, baby! Come say hello to all of our listeners! This isn't just stuffed crust. This is Papa John's crust. Stuffed! Alright, Marla, I think that promotion is now over. Sorry to say. 
Anyway, here on Authentic, where we get authentic, we talk about all things recovery. Hmm, what do I mean by that, all things recovery? Well, what I mean by that is if you are still living and breathing on this earth, you, yes? Are in recovery from something. As for myself, I am an alcoholic. Hi, my name is Nick, and I am an alcoholic. I'm also a drug addict. I'm a compulsive gambler. I have bipolar disorder. I have an eating disorder. Really? The list could go on and on and on. Luckily for you, the show is not about me. I repeat, this show is not about me. It is, however, about two people. First is my guest, Runcell, who will share his experience, strength, and hope as it pertains to his life in recovery. Second is the one life Runcell is most certainly going to save by giving his testimony here. We want you to know that you are not alone. No matter what your circumstance, no matter what happened today, yesterday, or what might happen tomorrow, doesn't matter. Because all we have is today. And today, with that further ado, it is time for Runcell time. Runcell, please introduce yourself in any way you see fit, sir. Well, Nick, my name is Runcell, and I'm so happy to be here. How do you spell Runcell? R-O-N-C-E-L. I've been calling you Runcell. Hey. Runcell. I've been called a lot worse. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Words not to be named. Yes. Yes. So please introduce yourself, sir, in any way you see fit. Yes, Nick. So um Runcell and glad to be here with you and uh your fans that watch you. Um Listen. Listen. Thank God they can't see me. Oh man, they don't know what they're missing My out on. Stinky bare feet yeah, walking around. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I am, you know, I'm elated to be here, Nick. I feel this is something in my life that it's been coming. And that's why I'm here. Because of, of, of this message of this newfound life. Just to introduce myself again, I'm just, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I've been through some battles and I've been through some fun times. And I walk around as I am. Right. But it, it, it never was that way. So I guess I'm Ron Sullen and I'm an open book. Damn. You should have a podcast. You're fucking clever as oh, shit. Oh, come on, man. You're yeah. clever as hell. Well, thank you. Do you want to come sit over here? Uh, we'll start here first. Yeah. You're yeah. Gonna, you're we'll... going to start there and you're going to end there, pal, buddy. Chief. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you. You're fucking welcome. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. We're going to have an appreciation off. Yes. But yes. first, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Please. <clears throat> so you're here. You identify as an alcoholic and an open book. So let's open up that book. Mm. Where do we begin? What are your, mm. like your, your first memories, your childhood? What was that like for you? So where we begin is in Guyana, South America. You know, I come from a, a small village in the hinterlands of Guyana. Growing up in that environment is very different, right? It's very, what would you call it, exotic. I grew up around a lot of things and seeing a lot of things that Americans, more or less, it takes a minute to get it across, right? To paint that picture. As a boy, it was a lot of greenery, a lot of jungles, <laughs> a lot of poverty, but also 
a lot of fun. I was very secluded because the village I grew up in was, uh, say, six to eight hours away from Georgetown, which is all jungle terrain driving. So you could have a good trip out, six hours, yeah. Or it could, uh, you could be in the rainy season and it's 10 hours because you're stuck. Could be a day's trip because you can't get out of the mud that you're stuck in. As a boy, you know, growing up in, in that environment and then coming here and building my life here, it, it, took a, it was a bit of a transition. You came directly <clears throat> to Minnesota or did you go elsewhere in the States? Years before I moved here, I, I did visit the States. Um, Where did you visit? Uh, Nebraska. Out of all the oh, states, I visit? tell you, man. Like you I had, <clears throat> but but peep game, right? Yeah, but peep game. When I came here, it was I was just elated to be here. Why? Right? Why? Because <laughs> McDonald's? No, no, <laughs> no. More or less, uh, uh, the allure of America to a boy like me coming from a third world country. The allure was great. I mean, every TV show. I would see as a boy, it, it, it would show America in a very, you know, light that everyone wanted to experience. So here I get the opportunity to get to America. I didn't care what state it was. I didn't even know what the states were. Okay. I apologize hereby, therefore, to, to Nebraska. Nebraska. Because that's where you fell in love with America. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I bet you yes. the corn had something to oh, do with Oh, I, I wouldn't realize until years later how much, uh, yeah, the trips to and from Nebraska would be so entertaining. <laughs> so exciting, you know, six hours, five hours of just corn and highway. Anyways, I digress. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's very, it's very, yeah. there's a lot of jungle. Yeah. There's a lot of Yeah, ju- <laughs> I tell you what, there was a lot of snow. Yeah. It tends to do that. Yeah. In the United States. Yes. Yes. I experienced that for the first time. In How did you feel about snow for the first time? It was captivating. You know, it was, it, it just, I, I remember standing outside and just catching it in my hands. Right, like I'm watching it melt and just being mesmerized by it. I'm like this is real, you know. At that time, I was what? Um, I believe I was 11. So people are looking out their windows at an 11 year old Ronsal. Yeah, and you're you look like you're out of your goddamn mind. Right, just right. You're really high or something. <laughs> Something's going on with that fucking little black right. kid. Right, right. <laughs> Standing out there with his outstretched arms. Well, and I'm assuming, and this is a a sweeping generalization, but I'm guessing that you went to a community with a lot of white people. Yes. So tell me about that experience. Did you? When did you decide to stay in the United States? That was a decision more or less that was an opportunity for me, right? So after I visited that first time, the second time I came back was when was to stay. So that was based on, you know, my parents, my family that I was coming over to live with. And so more or less at that age, I was, what, 12? wasn't really much of my choice. It, it, it was an opportunity that popped up and my parents took advantage. What do you, what do you mean, an opportunity that popped up? Due to whatever, you know, circumstances that my, my, like I said, my parents and the family I came to live with, which was my uncle, who is my mom's brother, due to what they, you know, talked about at that time time 
figured it was beneficial for me. And so that that was just it just came down to me. Okay, son. This is what you're this doing. is what you're doing. <laughs> this, is what, <laughs> this is what's happening. See, I liken it to I went through a move at that formative age also. Isn't that bizarre? Yes. Where it's just like yes. it's basically right on the cusp of like prepubescence or puberty mm. period, like eleven or twelve. That's when my parents moved. It was more so like from Closer to the city to weigh out in the fucking sticks. Mm. Um, yes. Not that that is, you know, not comparing yours to mine, but I get that where it's not your choice. You just have right. to fucking roll with it. Yes. Did you want to be here or did you want to stay back in Guyana? Well, wow. Very good question. Thank um, you. I ask all good it, questions. I know. Zero bad ones. I'm loving it. I love that you love it. I'm loving it. You see, with that, Nick, at that time, I didn't come to that uh, realization or conclusion until older. But at that time, it was excitement. It was, wow. It, it was like, I am getting a chance to go to this place that not very many people get a chance to go to. So you're here right. in the States. Right. What occurred next? What was your life like after mm. you had decided, I'm staying in the U.S.? <laughs> then it was on the roller coaster of, of what's to come, right? So I am, I am here and I am just in euphoria, right? I am in the greatest country in the world, right? Nice. Right. Nice eyebrow raise. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I saw what yeah, you were saying. Yeah, right. But no one else, no one else saw what you were saying. They'll feel it. Yeah, they'll feel it. I felt it before you did. <laughs> so I'm here and adapting, because the first thing I realized was people couldn't understand what I was saying. When I opened my mouth, I had to repeat the same thing, two to three to four to five to six times. So I had to be quiet for a while. What language were you speaking? English, but it it, it no was... no I mean from. When you lived in Guyana? English, yes. You were, okay. Only English-speaking country on that continent. It's bizarre. Right. Surrounded by Spanish, surrounded by... Portuguese. Portuguese, yeah. yes. Right? And here I get out of this country. I get here to the States, and I speak English. Now, at that time, I'm in middle school, and I see a lot of other foreign kids coming from other places that, that are in special classes for English. And I'm thinking... I'm, you know, it's it's. I'm thinking... Wow, I can speak this language fluently. This part, it's not that they, they're uh, dumb or not smart or whatever the case. It's just the language barrier, right? And so I guess a little of that I was fortunate enough for that. But I did learn that I had to be quiet for a while because <laughs> I had to learn to assimilate the tongue, more or less. Now, when I speak with my parents, it's a different story. But when I speak with an American or someone born here, living here, I have to rethink that, that whole process. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of quiet and a lot of observing. And then when I speak, that took practice. The assimilating, not only with language, but then everything else kind of fell into place, you know? Oh, well, these people do things this way. Ah, oh, this is strange, but it's... And then with everything going on, still remember the euphoria. The euphoria, friends were different, people were different. It was like night and day for me at that age. Now, part of the reason that you're sitting here is to talk about your alcoholism. Yes. When did alcohol first 
find its place into your mouth. Mm. Mm. You remember when your first drink was? Yes. Yes. It was when it was single digits. I was in Guyana and it was uh, Guinness. Right now, Guinness. <laughs> Again, it's not until the later years that a lot of these things would come to me. So Guinness back then was just something drank by a lot of Guyanese. It, it was like uh, the Coors or the Mick Golden here, right? And also this beer, Banks. Like, like the bank you go to, just add an S. Banks beer. That was like their local beer. Went to uh, boarding school at a young age there. And there, how the system works, you know, we, the kids, they'll take this exam. And depending on how they do, they get then sent to that uh, educational institution based on how they do. At 10... I wrote, 10 years old, I wrote this exam, did well enough to go to this boarding school, which happens to be a pretty good school. Um, the name of that school is President's College. Went there, away from the parents, experienced independence as a boy in a way that, <laughs> again, years later, I come to find out it's, it, could, it could be a good thing and it could uh, be a uh, not so good thing. When you're around boys that have a bunch of freedom, well, we do what boys do. We get, you know. We, can, we get mischievous. So we experiment, right? And then I was introduced to such things. Guinness, alcohol. Mm -hmm. What did your using habits look like back then when you had your first drink, when you had that Guinness? How often were you drinking at that time? Mm, at that time, you see, I didn't really... The taste was... People always say, well, they spit it out or, or oh, you know... That I don't, I don't remember the taste being so much of a thing for me as much as what I was doing, right? So, and developing a habit at that age, it wasn't a habit. You see, guys there, they would do like um, rice wine, right? We, you got fruits, you got rice, you water, sugar, you make your own hooch, right? So then you'd see the, the allure, the allure behind making this stuff was more of a thing than, say, getting addicted to it at that age. It was just doing it. It was drinking it, oh, having, laughing with the guys on the weekend. Guys leave for the weekend. It's just you and a select couple of guys. You make it, you have fun. You're not really thinking what it's doing to you and, and stuff like that. I, I guess at that age, I, I was more so having fun with, you know, with the people I was around. Right. It was kind of like that weekend warrior mm. type thing going on where you... If it was around, if you had access to it, mm -hmm. you know, over the weekend, Friday or Saturday night. Yes. And then all week, I mean, it just doesn't really register that it will ever be a problem. Right, right, right. So I want to know, mm. how did that progress then into the beginning of your alcoholism? When did things ramp up? Why did they ramp up? Okay. So then I got, I, I moved here to the States at, let's say, 13. Once I moved here, I guess a general mm, idea about alcohol was very uh, open, right? It was open. It was acceptable, acceptable. So I, I saw that, you know, friends were, were dealing with alcohol differently, right? Differently. It was a little more open. So then I got into that, huh, in, uh, less into those circles, but more or less into the habit. The way life would have it, we attract the people to us in, in, in the part of life that we're at, 
right? And again, these are ideals that I did not learn until later on in life. We attracted people as to where we are at that time. So my friends at that time, we loved partying. We loved having fun, right? Okay. Now, love having fun, alcohol, more than often, is associated with that and drugs, right? And or. Okay. Now, you take a group of teenagers that love having fun, and then you introduce a beer. And you go, okay, well, I've, I've done this before. But again, not, not in this place. Not around these people. It's a different energy. It's a different vibe. All right, how, harmless. And I'm, I'm, I'm a teenager. And I'm thinking, harmless, okay. We get into it, and all of a sudden, you get closer. You act. You act differently so people feel like they know you and you get accepted. And then you find that's your crew. Yeah, these are my friends. Then my drinking more or less became a pastime, a part of my pastime. Okay, so you're introduced <laughs> to this crew. These are your boys. You love having fun. Noticing probably that alcohol makes it seem like more fun is being had. Mm-hmm. Right. So where did it go from there? So noticing the noticing part that that alcohol was making it uh, more fun wasn't actually noticed by me at the time. It was just having fun, just having fun. Then just having fun turned right now on this ride of mine. I have to understand and I hope the people following me will understand or following this uh, interview will understand that the complete blindness to the fun it's real it was very real everything in my life at that point i could not do without alcohol but i did not notice it i didn't see it when i saw it it was too late in a sense that looked like me going to jail me Losing my children, me losing my other half at the time, me not having a place to live, me camping out on my friend's couch, me going from job to job to job, and the list goes on. So you've lost a few things a few due things. to your drinking. The loss, yes. When you went to jail, well, first of all, why, did, why were you in jail? Um... My first encounter with jail was, was with a DUI involving alcohol. I was 20 at the time, right before my 21st birthday. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mine was like <laughs> five. I got mine the day after New Year's because I was working in the bars, and uh, that was like my holiday where mm. I actually got to celebrate. So it was uh, January yes. 2nd. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, I remember uh, the cop looks at me and goes, oh, right before your 21st. But were you intoxicated? Would it even have mattered? Yes. Yes. So I guess it would have. Yes, it would have. I got home that night and um, I was I was serving at the time. I was a server at uh, the old Texas Roadhouse. All right. Uh, <laughs> you're serving at Texas Roadhouse now. <laughs> oh, the buns. So I, I get home. After a long shift, I come home to uh, a house full of people and uh, party. Well, that's just, that was the usual, usual suspects back then. Usual activities going on. 
what do we do when we walk into such uh, situations? We all know. We gotta catch up. We gotta catch up. People start handing you two. Yeah. No, people start handing you three drinks, and you're like, oh, am I supposed to balance one on my head? I'll just chug it, and then I can hold two, and I can right. double fist. And yeah. You gotta play catch up. Yes. Because you want to be on the same level, if not higher than right. what you walk into. Absolutely. It's that fear of missing out on a good time. Absolutely. So I got to – you guys have a head start on me, so I better fucking catch up. I better catch up. Okay. So what happened next? Here I am catching up. Everyone is way up throughout that process of catching up. A friend goes, oh, I, I got to go. I got to go home. Everyone is looking around thinking, well, you got to go right now? Like, we're just, yeah, I, I, you know, I got to go home. Well, who's the most sober one? Well, the guy who came in last and is catching up. So by uh, drunken tank thinking, Ronsell is uh, the most sober. He drank less. He can drive. He should be the best fit to drive. And I, myself, yes, I am the most sober here, guys. Please, don't any of you drive. Let me drive, okay? I am, I've had the least amount. Makes sense. We get into the car. <laughs> we take off. Cop pulls us over, right? Asks, um, you guys been drinking tonight? Ah, uh, no officer. Okay, can I see your ID, please? Here you go. My buddy in the back decides that this would be the perfect time to puke. Pulls pulls out, out the little pouch behind the passenger side and lets it go in there. So the cop the cop checks my ID, right? <laughs> Funny part, the cop checks my ID, about to hand it back to me. My fingers are out to get my ID because remember I'm I was the one catching up. So the buzz really hadn't kept caught up. So I'm, I'm doing good. My heart's racing a million miles an hour, not because I'm nervous, but because I'm about to get away with this. And then he decides to do that. And that ID went, yoink. I can see him just slow motion, pull it out of my fingers and looks at me and goes, I thought you boys weren't drinking tonight. Please step out of the car. And then it was downhill from there, Nick. <laughs> then jail was inevitable. <laughs> now, I have nobody to blame for my... DUI but myself. Mm. Did you ever blame him? Yes. Yes. Back then, I did. I would have been we... fine except for that fucking asshole just puked into the back pouch oh, of the seat. Oh, my car sat in the lot for a few weeks. It was summer. Ooh. Ooh, it was ripe. It was ripe. Mm. So we got into an altercation over that at the time because as, you know, prevailing heads do... I had to go over there and square it away, let him know how he costed me jail time and now it's on my record and what have you, what not. So yes, yes, I let him know how in the wrong he was, for sure, for sure. But then again, that didn't come to me until, until years later. Okay, well then what happened years later? You were continuing on with the partying, the drinking. Oh. You said you were oblivious to it until it wasn't right so when did when did that time come when did it become obvious to yes. you that you have a problem or that other people are voicing that you have a problem oh yes so that moment that moment came when i was looking at the uh, counselor the treatment counselor i was thinking to myself well ronsell you can either be completely honest with this woman or you can continue to do what you've been doing. 
and oh by the way take the solid advice from your friends and lie to her and this intake so she can believe you and say oh Ronsell there's nothing wrong with you they made a mistake sending you here you're perfectly fine you don't need to come to my facility that was an option but the option I took Nick was the first option to be completely honest with that woman. I knew nothing about what I know now, which we're about we're going to get into, but um at that time I was like, you know, I I've been to jail. I I at this point is what is what we call or I would like to call my rock bottom. At this point, I as I mentioned before, my eyes were open once I lost things, my family, my home, my jobs, right? And here I am sitting in front of this treatment counselor and she's sitting in front of me asking me questions right and I'm, I'm having to answer and I'm having this internal battle of do I lie to this woman or do I not do I just fucking tell her listen I'm perfect and I'm gonna tell you I'm perfect because I am that internal battle is real we have it I had it and I chose to go the route I felt was because I do have a problem and I need to go down a road to see First of all, if I'm right about having this problem and if it can help me. Yes. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Ronsell is going to talk about how he got some H-E-L-P motherfucking help. So how are you at singing? Not so good at singing, rapping, different story. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to record some. <laughs> oh, we got to put something in between for transitions. Maybe oh, we wow. could record you rapping. Man, you serious? Yeah, I don't fuck around. No, you don't. You, you know what else I don't fuck around? What's that? I don't fuck around about. There it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you, know, you know what it is? <laughs> you know what it is that I don't fuck around about here around sound? And that's help. H-E-L-P, help. And here we are talking about getting some, giving some. Help. What did initial help look like for you? I know you said you went to go see this therapist that was mm. at a treatment center. What did it actually look like for you getting help? Mm. 
Help. Help. Well, I was weak, right? Yeah. Most definitely. When I walked in there. But I didn't know it. I didn't know it. So, help. <laughs> help looked like misery. Right? That That's what help looked like at the time. Misery. Well, you think, well, Ronsa, how does help? How does that... Where does misery and that how? How? Well, what I didn't realize was when I was sitting in front of that lady, the journey that I was about to embark upon, due to being honest, uh, honesty is where we start, right? So, okay, here I am talking to this treatment center therapist. She goes, okay. She tells me when I begin. She tells me the process that I'll be taking on. So then, at the time, I knew I was in a place that is supposedly going to help me, right? Supposedly. So I was putting my trust in that. So I guess to answer your question, that's what help looked like at the time. It looked like misery, a bit of confusion, dark. But I knew it was where I was going to get help. What wasn't helpful about that situation? Were people making it difficult for you to stay sober? Yes. Yes. And and those people were the ones closest to me. Those, Usually that's how yes, it goes. Yes. Right? Yes. That's what I that's what I came to learn and I came to find out. What wasn't helpful about that process, uh, Nick, was myself. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. Go figure. Right. Myself, I was the least helpful part of that process. Me, Ronso Williams. More or less because I was getting in my way. I was angry. I was frustrated. I felt lonely. I felt betrayed. I felt all these negative thoughts, emotions. Who did you feel betrayed by? By my friends. Mostly my friends. Why did they betray you? How did they betray you? <laughs> well, of course, in that time, I can go back and I can, I can think of situations where, well, you shouldn't have puked. Why aren't you? You know what I mean? Well, anything, anything, anything else in the world. Called excuses. Right, right, right. Why did you have to call the cops? You could have called the fire department. You could have called uh, anyone else. You could have called a friend, another friend. Okay, so who was calling the cops on you and for right. what? Well, well, that no, th those are examples. Gotcha. Right? Those are like scenarios as to why did you do this to get me here? Right? Why did you do it? Not me. Now, why did I act a fool to cause, to put you in a, in a, a, between a rock and a hard place, right? Where you feel this guy is gone crazy that I, my only option is to call help, <laughs> Right? Call someone to help me because Ronsell is acting out of sorts. That's why I called the cops. That's why I called mom or Joe, right? More or less, I found out that I was the one. I was the one getting in my own way in, in, in the beginning of, of being in front of, of that lady in that building where I'm getting help. So you're getting help at this institution, this right. recovery center, whatever you want to call it. Yes. What sort of tools were you learning there? What What are some, just give me a few examples of some tools that were introduced to you. Absolutely. I got a shout out, Grace Counseling, right? That is the uh, treatment center that I was mandated 
to go to. Court mandated. Yes. That means yes. you made a lot of really good decisions all in a row, right? Absolutely. And get this, <laughs> I made the best decision was not going when they told me to go. <laughs> that was the best decision I made, right? Because then they had to say, because Ron Sol's thinking is, you got to send out a, a warrant for me, an arrest warrant to let me know you mean business. Uh, how many other months or a year later that warrant made it to my to my hands and I actually read it, I ended up going. Isn't that bizarre when you're holding a warrant in your hands for your arrest, right. how you decide to either justify or own? There seems only two directions. Right. When I received, I didn't even know I had a warrant for my arrest. Same here. No clue. <laughs> You, and it, it's not anything. Same. It's not anything super exciting. You want to know why there was a warrant for my arrest? Unpaid parking tickets. <laughs> Out of all the oh, fucked yes. up illegal shit I did. Oh, parking tickets. That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. But then that's the thinking. Yeah, that's how we think, right? That's how I thought. In those days. Well, I'm not going to change unless something like right. drastic, like a warrant for my arrest, mm-hmm. is introduced to me. Otherwise, why change when nothing bad is really happening? Exactly. Or at least in our minds, exactly. nothing bad is really happening until it's just that bing. Exactly. Whoa. It's, it's that real. moment of clarity that it talks about uh, in some of the literature that you and I both read is just that moment of clarity Mm -hmm. even doesn't matter how fucking drunk high cross-faded we are Mm -hmm. there's just that moment of clarity i remember Mm -hmm. mine i remember several of mine it's that moment of clarity where we understand and we own our shit yes so back to tools yes what kind of tools do you use what kind of tools did you learn well, well, Ad Grace Counseling um, was the first place I heard of AA, right? The first place. I had never, I didn't even know this program existed. You didn't? I did not. That's bizarre. Did not. That is not none of my friends, nobody I crossed paths with. No relatives. No relatives, no nothing. As a little sidebar, are either of your parents alcoholic? No. To the to your best knowledge? To my best knowledge, no. Any of your siblings? To my best knowledge, no. Grandparents? Grandparents, yes. Ah, it tends to yes. skip a generation. Ah, uh, yes. When, uh, when aunts a, and uncles, yes. Yes, same here. It's peculiar how that yes. happens where we don't know sibling, no parents. Absolutely. Parent. But as I said in the very, very beginning, everybody's in recovery from something. Mm. So mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be alcoholic tendencies. It can be any sort of compulsive, soothing behavior that is negative. Mm-hmm. Provides an escape. You know, it provides an escape. So you're in therapy. Can you remember any skills that they introduced to you? Being the first place that I heard of uh, AA, you know, the further along I went in this program, it, it, then the treatment program, it, it was there. It, it kept coming up and it, it, I'm like, well, what is AA? And then the counselor was like, well, you know, I highly recommend that after you guys graduate this program that you check out. At that time, it was the Blaine Alano. So what is an Alano? Now, uh, well, what I came to find out was an Alano was where people go to be surrounded by support and get help. Who was most supportive to you? Who? Um, In those early days. In those early days, I would have to say it would have to be... My sponsor. Okay, and what's a sponsor? Now, a sponsor is someone who, at that time, took me 
under their wing and took me through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the 12 steps being taught to you through the big book. Now, that individual is someone that helps you or helped me, speak for myself, helped me in that time navigate the waters of recovery. Now, none of this, mind you, uh, Nick, I knew at the time. I didn't. It was just do as you're told, Ronsell. Huh. Like, like <laughs> moving from Guyana to the United States, just do as you're told. So you're still a fucking child. Yes. When are you? Yes. You're fucking Peter Pan yes. over here. I, yo. Doesn't, yo. Dude doesn't want to fucking grow up. No, why? Why grow up when it's so much fun? When it's, you know, no one is telling me to grow up. No one is telling me, Ronsell, you have you you have reached a stage in your life where these qualities that you possess need to be channeled differently. Right? No one said, Ronsell, these potentials that you have, they're great. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. Here. Here's an idea. How about we do this or we do you know, at that age, I think back about it. The thing with young men and women running into strong individuals at certain points in their lives is very important. But then again, me running into the program was how I was going to do that, right? Because Ronsell lives lives according to his code and his his laws, right? <laughs> I, I, I was just like, I can't not laugh at that. So the universe would have it that I have to hit the hardest rock before that change could be could be introduced into my life. So that person that was the most supportive to me was that sponsor, whom I met right after graduating Grace Counseling. I met him at Grace Counseling. Why? Because he was there giving his time. He was there speaking. It was a speaker night. And what speaker nights are is is when people in recovery with a certain amount of recovery feel comfortable enough within their recovery to go and share and maybe and they we know it. Those of us in recovery know when that time hits and you can go and give something back. So that's what he was doing. And that's how come I heard him, I heard his message, and it resonated with me. Because what I learned was when people are like, Oh, when you find a sponsor, which I didn't know at the time, they have to agree with you. Something about their journey, something about their recovery has to resonate with you. Because you find a sponsor where it doesn't, then you're going to bump heads. It isn't more or less going to work. It can work, just not as smoothly, I, I don't believe. But then I lucked out. I found a guy right off the bat not knowing anything about AA, not knowing anything about recovery, just graduated this thing that's going to make me better. And here he is. I heard his story, resonated with me, asked him to be my sponsor, boom. Journey started. Well, continued because it started while before that. Right, right, right. <laughs> now, because you had never even heard of AA, right? I would like you to explain. How would you explain AA to a younger person or just any person mm. that has no idea what AA is? How would you describe AA? Hmm. I would describe AA to a younger individual that don't know what it's about, I would describe AA as a place where you learn how to live. You learn truly how to live. Now, AA has the stigma 
of you have to have a problem to be a part of this group. I found AA due to having a problem, but being in AA, it showed me that my problem that I had was but a symptom of how I can live. So to younger individuals out there not knowing a thing about AA like me, like I... Nick, I now that I'm in it, I couldn't even tell you. It sounds so weird saying I didn't know it existed at one point in my life. Like, it sounds so surreal and trivial coming out of my mouth that I didn't know it ever existed. However, that's how it, it, it needed to be. Once I found it, I know there is no going back. Once I found it, now meaning not just knowing it's down the road, not just knowing, oh, there's a building over there with an AA sign and that's where drunks go or addicts go to get help. No, no, not in that sense of finding it. But the, the true sense in finding it in a way where the literature, we're now into literature, we're now living our principles, and so on and so forth. I do mm-hmm. want to make clear to anyone out there that is listening, the only requirement for membership in AA Mm -hmm. to call yourself a member of AA is an honest desire to stop drinking. Mm. That's it. Take it at face fucking value. (laughs) The only requirement to call yourself, uh, Mm. I'm not telling somebody else, Mm. to tell yourself Yes. Is a desire to stop drinking. Yes. It doesn't even mean you have to be sober. It, does, it doesn't matter. All that is required is a desire to stop drinking. Yes. And there are plenty of AA meetings out there where you don't have to identify as an mm. alcoholic to attend. Those are called mm-hmm. open meetings. Mm-hmm. Some are open, some are closed. And the ones that are closed are reserved for the people that have a desire to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. A lot of the meetings that I go to, I would say 80% of the meetings that I go to are open meetings, open mixed meetings, Mm -hmm. meaning both men and women. Yes. And it's open. Anyone can attend. Yes. Yes. What a beautiful welcome mat that is. Yes. Yes. And and that's really what it is. It's welcome. Yes. It's welcome. Yes. It's not, you need to stay here. This is the only place you're going to be able to stay sober. Right. It's just welcome. Right. Glad you're here. Yes. Because you're attending for some reason. And I hope you get some answers or some sort of explanation mm-hmm. or some sort of support and help, which is inevitable. Walking into an AA meeting, mm-hmm. you will always have somebody there ready to help. Yes. Nick, on that note of an open meeting, closed meetings, and just AA meetings in general, a few weeks ago, I was out at, at Grace Counseling, that treatment center that I graduated from. And there's a new meeting out there on Monday nights at 7. You can get there at 6 for an hour of fellowship, right? Now, fellowship is where people are around other sober people practicing recovery or are living recovery. And so they feel comfortable, right, wherever they are. Again, with the desire to stop drinking. That's why we're there. Now, (laughs) throughout that meeting, Nick, there was a man in that meeting that was not an addict. Hmm. Did they tell him to leave? No. (laughs) They came for the fellowship, right? Now, I'll say that again. That man was there that was not an addict. He was not an alcoholic, nor does he struggle with drugs. He has a son, Leon. Big shout out. Leon does a lot for recovery. Now, he was the one hosting that meeting. Now, that was his father. And his father, I learned that night that his father was there 
just just to be around the energy just to know that this program saved his son's life and his son is responsible for all these well many people 30 to 40 people within that building that night for those of us out there wondering what this AA thing is and that's exactly what Nick just said it's open or closed you you feel like you, you the desire to change in your life the desire to change anything in your life eating right sex alcohol drugs anything you feel it's holding you down you walk in those doors and you just sit listen be just be and i didn't come to that realization until that night really really been in this program for for a few years and there's a man sitting across from me that's not an addict but he's in the same room that i'm in because i'm an addict and when he shared, and I heard him share why he was there, oh, man, it opened another door for me. It said, it said to me, you mean, Ronsel, you don't have to be an addict to be here? Just that simple thought. And then I can sit in that. That's the beauty of this program, Nick. And I will say that <clears throat> out of the thousands and thousands of meetings that I've attended over the last five years, I've never once seen someone asked to leave because they don't have, have a, a problem. problem. <laughs> Guess what? Everyone what? has problems. Yes. And what the 12 steps, what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous provides is a spiritual solution mm. to a very human problem. Yes. And your human problem, fill in the fucking blank. Mm. Could be codependency. <laughs> yes. Could be overeating. Mm. It could be under eating or not eating mm. could yes. be bullying it could be shaming any of that shit it's a spiritual uh. solution to a very human problem and yes. all the 12 steps are are suggestions that's the, yes. that's the word that they use these are but suggestions mm -hmm. yes check yes. out and see what we got and if that's something that you want mm -hmm. there's someone here that'll do it with you mm -hmm. that's exactly it me i found they were trying to tell me what to do Right. They're trying to tell me what to do. Well, no one tells me what to do. I've been doing what I want to do all my life. But they're suggestions. We're just suggesting you maybe do this. We're suggesting you do this third step. And the magic about what you just said, Nick, about all those things you just listed for me. They all unfolded as I went through the program. Like some of these things I didn't know I had. Playing fucking whack-a-mole. Yeah. Yeah. Like it did pop up. Feel like I'm back at Chuck E. Cheese, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> Give me those tickets so I can get some fucking pixie sticks. Got that spiritual mallet, you best believe. <laughs> spiritual mallet. Um, you best believe, brother, I got that spiritual that's mallet. Actually, that's, that's actually going to be the name of your episode is Ronsell, the spiritual mallet. Yes. I love it. Mm. I want to talk about the steps. Mm. Well, first of all, you talked about a sponsor. Do mm -hmm. you sponsor... I do not. Uh, why not? Um, that's that's something that's I've been thinking about and I've been going over my mind. In a sense, it's fear, mm. right? Now that that's something I do not live my life by fear, but I constantly have to remind myself that. You know what fear stands for, right? 
Mm. Fuck everything and run. Yes. Yeah, and that's, what, well, yes. that's what fear is. We we're yes. we're pain averse individuals. Mm-hmm. We're pain averse creatures. Right. So what are we <laughs> gonna do when something is difficult, challenging, scary, literally and figuratively? We go in the other direction as yes. fast as we can. As fast as we can. What the twelve steps teach mm. us to do mm. is to face them. Mm-hmm. And to use these tools, right. this spiritual toolkit, which is the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes. And all we can do is hope to practice these steps to the best of our ability mm-hmm. one day at a time. Yes. And that makes it so much more palatable. Yeah, there are 12 steps. Yes. That's why you have a sponsor to mm-hmm. take you through them. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of why mm. I was poking the bear because, Roncel, you've been sober for six years. Yes. Why the fuck are you not sponsoring other people? Because <laughs> that is our primary purpose. Yes. Is to stay sober and help elder alcoholics oh, you know to it. achieve sobriety. sobriety. You know it. Right. And you this isn't a, shame, a, no, a, a sponsor no. shame thing going on. No. Please but bring it. What I loved bring about it. my very first sponsor, mm-hmm. who is my current sponsor, he gave me two specific guidelines or Mm. questions that he asked Mm. me in order for him to accept me as a sponsee. Mm. He said, first, answer these two questions. Number one, are you willing to be completely honest with me? Mm. He didn't say be completely honest with me. He said, are you willing to be completely Mm -hmm. honest with me? Mm -hmm. And two, are you willing to help take other men through the program like I am about to take you through the program? It's just willingness. That's mm-hmm. all he asked me for. He didn't ask me for a 15-page paper. Right. He didn't ask me to go take a newcomer to detox or anything like that. All he asked was willingness. Mm-hmm. Willingness to be honest. Right. And willingness to help other people achieve, maintain attain sobriety and that's really what aa is at its bare fucking bones Mm -hmm. is one alcoholic helping another alcoholic that is literally the definition of a meeting is one alcoholic working with another alcoholic Right. right anywhere two alcoholics are gathered together a meeting is happening right right so yes i suggest yes that you be willing (laughs) To raise your hand. <laughs> yes, yes. Raise your hand at a meeting and say, yes, I'm willing to sponsor. Because yes. you got some good <laughs> shit, man. You got you got well, the good shit. You got you, in, It's in that <clears throat> Ziploc baggie. It's it's just ready to be opened up. Yes. And that's 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 it. You know, that's really what it is. You know, so the you know, to whoever's listening out there, you guys are witnessing it in the flesh right now in the moment that this man is helping me to to have perspectives about my fear. Right now, it happens every everywhere, everywhere. Now, Nick, to go off of that, <laughs> what I'm learning about myself is I'm very stubborn, right now, now and selfish, along with other things. Now, the program for me, and going back to why I guess this fear is there about sponsoring, is truly, truly selfish. Truly selfish. Through that selfishness. I hope to find that thing because what I found out I've been doing is not forcing my my recovery, not forcing things within my recovery, having it come organically, naturally. This here is very organic. This interview that we're doing is organic to me. Why do I say that? Because I've been thinking about it in this sense that, oh, I'm going to talk to Nick or I'm going to talk to anyone else in a room like that. No, 
but on the fact or in the world that it's going to manifest truly and purely when that time comes. Now, I've had friends say, Ronsell, would you sponsor me? Because I've told them I can sponsor people. I've been through the 12 steps. They've come to me, Ronsell, would you be my sponsor? Yes, I would love to. You know, we'd go as far as setting up days and times. And well, of course, those never happened. Now, I've done it not only with friends, with other people too. Oh, Ronsell, would you sponsor me? Oh, yeah, let's meet up now. Let's let's meet up um, here and there. Okay. And of course... It never stuck. It never stuck. Now, Nick, it took me a few years to get through my 12 steps. Now, this is something I share in meetings or whenever I speak. I let people know it took me years to do 12 steps. Now, let that sink in. Years to do 12 steps. There are people back in the day that we'll hear about in the rooms that did these steps in a day. Why would an individual take so long to do steps? (laughs) Yes, right? But my sponsor, he couldn't go, Ronsell, meet me here, meet me there. Well, who are you? I'm Ronsell Williams. Gosh darn it. You don't tell me what to do. I meet you when I want to meet you. I talk to you when I want to talk to you, right? So then that arrogance, that anger comes out because now I feel like he's trying to control my life. He's trying to tell me what to do all of a sudden. Okay, why don't Ronsell sponsor That fear is there, Nick, because, as you can see, it goes personally deeper for me through my process, right? However, the selfishness within that needs to be understood by myself so then I can help others. So thank you. Thank you. Why am I not doing it? What is stopping me from raising my hand? Fear. 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 So there's two kinds of fear, as I understand it. First is fear that I'm not going to get something that I want. Mm -hmm. And the other is I'm afraid I'm going to lose something that I have. Mm. And that can be applied to every single fear-ridden inner monologue I've ever had. Yes. Like, am I afraid that I'm going to lose the money that I have? Or am I going to be afraid that I'm not going to have money? Right. Money is a big one. Yes. Money, love. Yeah. Those are two big ones. And and two, just add to that, the fear of attaining your goal. The fear of being that person. You know, like, like, like I think to myself, well, I want to achieve so much, so much in life. I want to be this. I want to do that. I want to go here. However... And like you said, money. You're like, well, I want a million dollars. What would I do if I had a million dollars? And then all of a sudden the fear pops up. Well, the fear of what? Now I have it. Now the fear comes, what do I do with it? Is it going to be good enough what I do with it? Or who's going to try and take it? Exactly. Then different fears How is this going to change me? It's that inner monologue. And that is the perfect, perfect opportunity to reach out to another alcoholic, drug addict, compulsive gambler, eating disordered person, any of those things. I need to get out of my own way. You already said it. Yes. I have a Nick problem. Nick gets in Nick's way yes. and then he starts talking to the third fucking person and all yes. of a sudden it's a really bad mind fuck. <laughs> yes. Runcell, pick a number. Oh, pick yes. a number, one through 12. Six. <clears throat> okay, so six. Step six in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. Mm. You know what it is? You're... It's so hard. To... It's, it's just it's off so the hard. bat. These... It's so yes. hard when people put you on the spot. Yes, yes. Okay, so six. Remind me, Nick. Please. We're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. To me, just mm. as kind of a, a buildup, 
step six comes after steps four and five, obviously. Mm. What happens in four, taking an honest self-appraisal, like any good business does, we have to take inventory. We have to look at the stock mm. and trade. Right. Figure out where we were wrong. Figure out where we need to make things right. Mm -hmm. And then in the fifth step, we talk about those things out loud. Mm -hmm. You know, the people, places, and things that we've harmed, our insecurities, mm -hmm. our fears. It's just a huge purge, a personal house cleaning. Right. Right. Now, once we've said those out loud to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, then we come to step six, mm -hmm. where we became entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. Mm. I do want to say before you answer mm -hmm. that the word God is thrown around a lot in AA rooms. Just yes. in general, it's just mm -hmm. God this, God that, God this, God that. The mm. only thing that the AA program is talking about is belief in something bigger than myself. Because once again, I have to tell people that I have a very human problem mm. that I cannot solve. Right. It's got to be something bigger than me that I yes. need to trust in yes. to have these defects of character that were identified in four and five yes. to have those removed. And that's the crazy thing is like, oh man, right. I'm, I just brought up all the fucked up shit yeah. that I've ever done, said, thought. Yes. And then all of a sudden I have to trust or become entirely ready to have mm. this higher power. You can choose to call it whatever you mm -hmm. want. But it has to be something that's bigger than you because you're giving this thing. Right. He, she, it, they. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. You have to give away your shit. Right. To something bigger than you with the belief or a willingness mm. To believe mm. that those defects of character can and will be removed mm. if we practice these mm. steps to the best of our ability. So, you chose six. What does that step look like for you? Becoming entirely ready mm. to have God remove these defects of character. By the way, what is the name of your higher power? Do you choose the word God or do you choose a different word? God. Okay. Yes. I chose God because it's a, it's a great acronym. Yes. Good orderly direction. Yes, sir. Or group of drunks. Yeah. 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 Def definitely not. Definitely not the God uh -uh. of uh. you know my upbringing, <clears throat> mm. but that's a piece of it. Yes. It's it's Absolutely. certainly a piece of it. Absolutely. You know what my God is? What's that? I don't know. Mm. That's I live in the yeah. I don't know. Yes. Like, yes. Because if I try and, if I try and define it, all of a sudden I'm gonna start thinking a lot about me. Mm -hmm. And the more I think about me, the closer I am to my next drink and the further away from my higher power I become. Right. You know, either you're growing or you're dying. There ain't no third direction mm -hmm. in life. There's no such thing as staying the same. So either I'm growing toward the perfection which is my higher power, yes. which yes. I can come to believe that will remove these defects of character. Absolutely. Or I will try and soothe with an outside source. Right. Alcohol, drugs, gambling, right. sex, eating disorder, self-harm. This could go on and on and yes. on. Okay, so what's step six for you? How do you practice step six? Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Man, that one, like all the steps, so powerful, right? But on a guess... And the way I've been living my life, I would choose six in this moment. Okay, Nick. Um, like you said, four and five came for me before six. Now, once I went through the dreaded four, which I didn't know at the time mm. was the dreaded step. 
once I got into it, I understood why four is so feared, right? Now, to please, to those of us out, out there listening, do not associate fear with this. I'm not trying to fear monger here. I'm just simply trying to explain something that is very real and true. I, as a person, did not want to, uh, step four, did not want to look into myself and, and face those things, those dark things. However, since it's uh, do as you're told, Ronsell, we do as we're told. So going through step four naturally had to happen. Okay, so I went through step four, got through that with the help of my sponsor, cleared up some stuff, and then I was able to do more. More doors open for me within this uh, process of, of recovery. And so went on to five and six were entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. How was Ronsell entirely ready? What is God to Ronsell? What are defects of character? When I did four and five, those prepped me for six. I had a better understanding of what God meant to me by step six. Entirely ready. The only way I'm entirely ready for anything is if I have a belief that it's going to work or I was beat the fuck down <laughs> to the point where I have no other choice than to be ready. No other choice. At that point in my life, whether I knew it or not, I was or I had to be entirely ready to have this higher power that I accepted as God. What I came to understand as well is that AA is a spiritual program. You know, spirituality and God. I came to understand two different things. Now, once I got that understanding, I was able not to focus so much on this God thing, trying to wrap my mind around understanding this God thing, making it tangible in some way. And like you said, Nick, then it just forces me to understand it, get a grasp of it, and I'm thinking about myself because I've, I've now wrapped my mind around God. So if I could understand God, <laughs> then of course I understand me. Well, and then you, at that point, you might as well just be God. Then I might as well be God. Right. Right. So then this higher power that I'm supposed to give, give these things up to, I have now reclaimed them. So step six is entirely ready. Me, Ronsell, being entirely ready to have this higher power of my spiritual being or my spiritual nature remove character defects. Now, character defects, I learned as I went through my step four. As I started going through the muck with my sponsor, I'm like, well, my sponsor is like, hmm, okay, and opened my mind to, well, Ronsell, do you really think that, don't you think there was a little bit of anger in there? Don't you think there was a little bit of selfishness in there? Don't you think there was a little bit of lust in there? Well, well, what, what does anger and lust and, and that have to do with me? Well, Ronsell, have you heard of character defects? Those, th that's what that's called. Maybe that's a character defect you have. What? Mind blown, bro. Yeah, and you know what blew my <laughs> mind when it was explained so simple? What are your defects of character? Yeah. And really, my sponsor broke it down to me as four key ingredients mm. for my character defects. Mm. Is selfishness. Mm -hmm. Second one is dishonesty. Mm. Third is the absence of love. Mm. And fourth is impurity. 
and really every single defective character that I can identify falls underneath one of those four categories. Mm. So then I flip the script and I ask myself each day, how can I be selfless? Right. How can I be honest? Right. How can I be pure? Right. And how can I be loving? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Flip it on its ass. Yes, sir. Take that M in me, flip it upside down. You got a W in we. Mm. Oh, beautiful. Oh, I'm taking that. It felt good right it off felt, the Oh, time. it just... It, it, yeah. You said it and I felt good. I, <laughs> I think I just came. You know, I, you I, just I, said... I, I felt... Good. Yeah, it felt great. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Nothing I say is original. I, I love... I, there's a quote by Hank Williams, uh, Sr. All the best country songs have already been written. <laughs> And that's just how I look at life. Everything I've done has been done before. Right. How am I going to make it mine? And part of mine mm. is sharing with a higher power yes. and a fellow. Yes. That's yes. what's mine. You know, and it's it, just going off that, it's beautiful. You said that, you know, the originality bit. I guess for me, I get a chance to take what isn't or was never really original, right? And change it. Just a little Ron Cell tweak. Yeah, rewrite it a little, right? Right, and that's all this is. This is just a fucking repeat. Yeah. We've already done this. (laughs) 300 years ago, we were just chilling in a cornfield in Nebraska. Yeah. And we were just... Absolutely. We were just rapping at each other. Absolutely, man. And that's that's the magic. (laughs) That's the magic. That's the magic and the beauty about it. It can only it can only be unfolded through trusting the process, right? Through Ronsell trusting this process, this road, this journey that he's on, will other doors be opened to him that would have never been opened otherwise? Yeah, Nick, like I said, me even being here is something that was manifested through my thought. It's through me wanting to help. The, the, the universe knows that I want to give back, and I do. I do. Uh, okay. Let's say me coming out of the generation, we're the same age, right? I'm, I'm 34. I come from a background where technology wasn't a thing in my life, right? I grew up not typing, not nothing, no technology. Then I get to the States and then I had to learn about computers and I had to learn about technology. It's like, boom, I just went light years beyond where I'm coming from. Now we still have that kid that's rooted in doing things organically. Going outside and playing in the dirt, thinking about something and just trusting, well, man, that'd be cool if that happened. And one day it happens and you're like, whoa, that man, I thought about that a few weeks ago and here it is. Crossing over into this generation, into this world, being as old as I am. It's like the universe knows Ronsell wants to help. But how can he help? Through technology, right? Now, Ronsell didn't grow up with technology, so now that's new for me. And I know a lot of the listeners are going, oh, man, you know, we were born with a phone in our hand. What do you mean you can't get online and say a few things to inspire people and and help that way and it's like there's the fear thing again guys because remember we all come from such different backgrounds doing something that may be organic to you may be such a struggle and such a hill for someone else to get over my friends i'm sharing with you that ain't alcohol and and aa it's technology for ronsell williams (laughs) getting on the phone and making a little clip or even doing this with you right now man sometimes it's I'm shaking because it's not a natural habitat for me. God, get a room, you two. I, I, yay. Thank God your phone. You know, is, it, you know. is it bothering you right now to have the knowledge that your phone is off? No. 
Well, that's good. No, you see, that's the thing. I can I can leave my phone somewhere, go get lost in the world, and not think about it. Uh-huh. Whereas uh, I, other people are like, bro, I've been calling you for the path. Where and they're mad at me, and I'm like, bro, chill out. I was. <laughs> It's such a right now you know, culture that we live in. Yes. But but to, to, to bring that to light, Nick, to, to bring that point in is that this here is organic. You approaching me that morning and saying, hey, Ron, so would you like to be a guest on to be interviewed on my show? I couldn't tell you at the time, Nick, but I was thinking in my head I was jumping. I was I was clapping my hands. I was screaming. I was just, yes. Look at that. I didn't have to force that. I didn't have to go out and beseech Nick and hunt him down. And No, 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 no. He approached me. But that's being on a, on, a, on a frequency. On a frequency doing this work, spreading this message that we don't need to seek it. It will find us. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are an organic show here. Just oh. free-range, cage-free alcoholics. Mm, went off. Went off script on that. Yeah. Yeah. We're antibiotic-free here on Authentic. <laughs> We are so organic. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, Ronsell is going to talk about my favorite four-letter word. No, it's not fuck. It's hope. Hope. Tune in next week for the rest of Ronsell's story in which he will talk about my favorite four-letter word. No, it's not. It's H-O-P-E. Oh, yeah, we are in the midst of the night.